while doing it. One, two, three, four. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Edge of Futures podcast. Um, we're coming to you tonight from, I'm, I'm in Berwick-upon-Tweed on the Scottish border of between England and Scotland. Yeah, that would be where the Scottish border is. Steve, good. how are you doing? Yeah. Good, thank you. Yeah, I missed last week. I was in Paris. Um, my, it was my wife's 40th birthday, so we, we ended up uh, going to Paris for a few days. So apologies to listeners that missed me so much. Uh, but I'm back. I'm here. I to think what we uh, did last week. I can't. I can't even remember. I think we all. I think it was just myself and Ben. Yeah. yeah I, I'm going to put it out there that it was AI last week. I'm just putting it out there for yeah. anybody that's not listening to it. It'll <laughs> definitely. I think really that, clear you haven't listened to it because it wasn't about. Let's you, not talk about episodes that we haven't listened to, Dan, <laughs> uh, and we'll call some bits out. But uh, but yeah, it's well, been. That seems to be the. That seems to be the common denominator here. So it's it's me and Ben. Now it's me and you. Ben, where is Ben today? I don't know. We, we did, it's one of those things. I know he's away on holiday next week, but it's the, the conversation that we've not really had. I know Ben's mm. not here and unable to do it, but we've not really explored why he couldn't do it. I don't know. I think he said he was doing his hair. I think so, yeah, I think so. Or is it, no, it's his tribute band. He's in Right Said Fred, isn't he? So, um, so, uh, so... Yeah. Should I, I'm not allowed to tell people the thing that. is, Ben will actually listen as well, so he's going to hear I know, it. he's going to get really annoyed. He's going to get really annoyed. But yeah, it's been a good week. Uh, it's been good. a little bit cold today. Paris, city of love. It was beautiful. What a wonderful city Paris is. Yeah, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, lots of food. We were kid-free for a few days as well, which was just bliss, but we missed them. Uh, lots of walking. So, um, uh, Madame Lisa in the Louvre, and we saw went up the Eiffel Tower, and we we did steak and fritz and Arc de triumph and Notre Dame. It was yeah, it was just beautiful, lovely, lovely place. And first time I've been to Paris for a long time, but absolutely loved it. And yeah, definitely want to go back. But how was uh, how was life in education, Dan? How was life? Yeah, everything else going? It's going well. Yeah, I'm standing up tonight. It's the first time I've ever stood up for a podcast. Um, because I'm because I'm up in Berwick. There's no desk here, so I'm just literally my MacBook is is on a side cabinet in the living room. The irony is I have a stand-up desk. I can't remember the last time I stood up at my desk. <laughs> uh, the last time I stood up at my desk, because it's an electric one, I pressed it and it knocked something off the wall, so I didn't do it again because I've not because I've not moved it further enough for a wall. But, uh, yeah. How would you feel standing up, Dan? Does it feel different? It's good. I don't know what I'm going to feel like in half an hour. If you just Well, we've got an hour, me, so you know, if, if you, you get die off in half an hour, I'm worried. I'm worried. If, if I'm like this in half an hour, then you, oh, I shouldn't do that. Getting a bit thin on top. Okay, it's all right. right. Don't worry about it. Embrace it. Embrace it, mate. We love it. It's, you're looking good. Don't worry. The beard is on point. I can see Erin, one of the guests who's coming on soon, laughing in the background, though, which is... Uh, thanks, Erin. It's filled me with confidence. <laughs> was she laughing at my joke and was she laughing at the hairline? It's an interesting <laughs> one. We'll ask her when she comes in and uh, make her feel really uncomfortable. But should, should we get them in, Dan? Shall we? Yeah. So we're, we're delighted to be joined on this episode by Erin and Samson. Let's bring them in. Hello. Hello. Hi, thanks for joining us. So uh, we've got Erin, who's 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 joining us from New Hampshire in the United States, and Samson, who's in Uganda. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're truly international tonight, uh, connecting three parts of the world together. Um, yeah, let's let's jump into it, because you guys are, are, are co-founders of Year, 
Um, and do you want to do you want to jump in and tell us like what it is, where where it came from, and and some maybe give us a hint at some of the exciting thing you you guys are doing. Samson, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I think it would be yeah. I'm I'm delighted to be hosted on 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 Play's podcast. Uh, thanks, Dan, for for the invitation. The first time I listened to your to your podcast, I got addicted, <laughs> and now I'm um, you are out there. I keep listening in. Now um, we know who the one listener is. That's uh, I always wondered who it was. <laughs> yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. I think in terms of introduction, my name is Samson Wambuzi. I am the co-founder of Year. Um. And Year is a Uganda word that means to innovate, and we uh, fill the gap left by the failure to um provide basic education to the, uh, to the millions of children in under-resourced uh, communities across Africa, providing interactive and practical education that is accessible by every child. Uh, and just a little bit about my background. Um, before Evelyn and I started year, I was a design coordinator at an international organization here in Kampara. And before that, I was a classroom teacher of physics and math. Um, and one of my biggest breakthroughs that uh, in life so far that I really am proud to share is the fact that um, despite all the hurdles and, and despite the fact that we lacked even the basic necessities at home, I was able to complete school and, and graduated from the top university in Uganda. I graduated from Makerere University. You probably know Makerere University. And the reason I said that is because of my, you know, uh, is, is because of, it, you know, the story of how I grew up, I was raised by my grandmother who made um, great sacrifices for me to, uh, to get education. And I remember uh, her, you know, when I remember my grandmother walking me to school, she was telling me that uh, getting an education would um, help me to improve the lives of our family and our community. And thanks to her efforts, because her support helped me to overcome, like her support helped to overcome educational barriers that even today, millions of young people uh, in, in, in Uganda and in Africa face. Um, the organization that I co-found, YEA, uh, exists to provide all young people with the, the educational opportunity that my grandmother provided for me. Um, and we envision a future where every child has equitable access to um, high quality education. And later, if there is time, I would love to share with you a little bit about the educational crisis that, in my view, I feel needs urgent attention. But I think I would love to first uh, give a chance to my colleague Erin to. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks, Samson. I think it's I think it's always a good start when somebody says they're doing what they're doing because because they want to they want to do better for other people. Um, and and to see that kind of that drive and that passion and that that kind of purpose, um, I think, is to to start on that point is is, is really strong and. Let's just see kind of who you are and the and the and the drive behind this project. Erin, so you you're over in the United States. So how how did you kind of get together with Samsung and, and co-found you? Um, that is a great question. So I ended up in Uganda. A philanthropist sent me to Uganda to teach science and math to blind students. That's how I got there. Um, and I wandered around for a few years um, doing different educational um, programs. And then I was working with Samson um, at this NGO and he was doing design, I was doing program design. And, um, but we both 
like it was an entrepreneurship program, but we both secretly were math and science um, enthusiasts and really wanted to teach that to students. So we tended to teach uh, product making skills that kids could build businesses off of. So mosquito repellent candles or um, uh, uh, soap, um, different kinds of uh, making, making homemade soap. Um, and so we really liked our experiments. Um, Very likes love that story. And um, <laughs> that's a bad ending. I'm joking. It has a good ending. <laughs> um, so there was a day that we set the office on fire. That's the story. Um, and that's when we decided probably we should branch off uh, to our own organization. And it was not on purpose. We had an experiment going. And then Samson loves making different educational games for students. So we left the experiment. Um, which was different, measuring how long it takes different kinds of candles to burn down so we would know for our students uh, and went to go try out a new game. And when we came back, the desk was on fire. So um, that's the point at which we decided. I bet, I bet it kept the mosquitoes away though, Erin. So exactly. there were no mosquitoes. There's a win there. <laughs> so mission accomplished. Um, yeah, so we started Yia, the Sam's of the name, um, to innovate in Luganda. Um, and we started it basically to help create next generation of innovators um, across Africa as the big vision. Um, and like Samson said, we teach ex um, experiential education. So the education is rooted in actual community challenges that the students face at home. And it's a kind of like grassroots development, right? Where you have young people learning how to use math and science to actually solve real challenges in their communities. So kids have learned how to make bicycle powered phone chargers They've because there's not electricity. They've learned how to make solar food dryers because food preservation is a really big issue and there's not a lot of refrigeration. Um, so that's just an example of some of the things that um, we have in our program. Um, and we ran our program for um, how long, Samson, for, for three years until COVID hit. Um, and I don't want to turn it back over to you with our whole story of, of air science or if you have more questions, because it's it's a longer story. Yeah, I absolutely love it. We There's a couple of things that we, we talk about often um, on the podcast, um, how education in the UK and many countries um, needs a revolution um, and needs to change. And we often forget that actually... It does need a change, but in many organisations, in many organisations, in many countries, actually, the access to education is so different. And we, we often forget when we're trying to improve it so much that what that looks like for, for certain countries and, and certain individuals that, you know, it's not just a given that you get education. Um, but we also talk about when we talk about on a regular basis, um, knowledge um, skills and application to real world context and I love the maker spaces and the whole idea that you just talked about around candles and 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 lights and everything else that you you've been doing because it applies gets students excited but also applies it to a real world problem or concept or context of that what we need this we want to work on this because this will do so much for us or our community I absolutely love it absolutely love it and we forget this often in the UK because we focus so much on what the current system in us and, and how we can improve it. And there's two clear things that we, we miss on a regular basis. And that's not everybody has the same access and also that context that um, you've just talked about. So anyway, I'll stop talking, but I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And I would just echo what you're saying that access is a huge part of it. Um, and that was a really interesting thing. Um, and Samson can speak to this as well. But when we first started Yia, 
we were broke. <laughs> we had one grant um, and eventually that ran out. And so we would run our program for a fee in international schools in the main cities. Um, and so they would pay for the program. And then we would run, use those funds to run the program for free up, up country in these really um, small villages. Um, and that was, our, that was our sustainable revenue model. Um, and it was really interesting because um, our heart was in, was in the, the villages, but of course we needed a way to fund that work. Um, and when COVID hit, we had this terrible realization um, of the discrepancies as everywhere. They, those popped up, but um, our students at the at the well-off schools um, missed about a week of school before everybody went online. Um, and when everybody went online, there were some pickups. It was not beautiful, um, but kids were still getting some sort of connection with teachers. Um, and it would be two years, uh, two years before the kids in the villages would access education again. So these kids from well-off schools had like one year gap sorry, one week gap, and then these students in these villages, two year gap. Um, and so that's where the idea of, of YIA came from, um, thinking about how can we reach those students um, because, because it's not fair, right? That's so, that's so unjust. Um, and we still want to get our program out to them. Um, so we, Samson felt really strongly and so did I that you can't, we can't send out textbooks we can't send out workbooks like anything you send out physically might not make it. There's a there's a, a million different challenges, one of which some of these villages are not even accessible during the rainy seasons. Um, and so we had to look at the constraints we had on ground like so there's no Internet. There are no smart devices. Um, there's radios. There's keypad phones, you know, from the 90s, those little Nokia phones. Um, and so can we create an educational program? where it's not just the lecture, right? Because in school, same thing, lecture-based things. We've been trying so hard um, for four years to work on interaction between teachers and students and hands-on work. And so can we do that um, virtually? Can we have interactive remote education that feels like, um, that feels like an online course? Can we do that um, without the tools that you typically need for an online course? Yeah, that's... Uh, that's great. I think that's it's true innovation, isn't it? I um I think the that whole problem of the internet, I think a lot of a lot of us who kind of who who just live off live with the internet every single day, we take for granted um that we can and it's it's such a great place for for learning and and, and for, for self education, I guess. But um I love the fact that you you kind of you innovated around that and thought how can we how can we get it to, to people who don't have that so how did how did what did you do then because you said you had radios they had they had certain equipment like the keypad phones what what did you do to reach those those kids i think um no i think i just wanted to say something just before eric jumps in to share like uh, uh, what we did but when you talk about like the fact that people who are privileged to access, you know, internet, smart devices, or who are privileged to take their kids to good schools, or who are also privileged, like I know in the US, there are good schools that are for free. Like Erin takes uh, her daughter, her five-year-old daughter to like an elementary school in New Hampshire, and it's for free, but they provide everything, you know? So people who have, if, if, if you come from maybe people who have like 
privileges of you know internet and you know access to schools don't understand the need for access to education in this country where in in Uganda where I am right now like only 30% of children enroll in secondary school and two weeks ago two weeks ago the Uganda um the Uganda National Examinations Board released the uh, the primary living exams exam results of of 2022 and the data from the Ministry of Education shows that out of the 1.88 million learners who joined primary one seven years ago, only 800,000 800, of them were able to complete primary school. That means that over 1 million kids were not able to complete primary school. And if we go by the, the data that we have now, out of those, um, uh, out of the, those, those that made it, it's around 40% who made it, you know, uh, only 30% will, will enroll in secondary school. That means 70% of children will not um, enroll in secondary school. And for a bigger context, in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, we have over 36 million um, out-of-school uh, children who are of primary school age. And so there is a huge problem. Um, and, 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 and I feel, you know, there's a huge problem that needs to be tackled um and 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 um and i'm saying this just to say i resonate with you uh, uh dan when you say sometimes we don't understand the problem uh that the problems that do exist in, in you know when it comes to access to, to, to education yeah absolutely I, I i was i spent a bit of time just outside of kasumu in in kenya a few years ago and um some small villages uh, around there and that really struck me so a lot of them would have kind of the like the the keypad mobile phones but they would they would they would have to charge them off a car battery um and they and obviously they they would then have to take the car battery back into the village to get it charged and and just that accessibility to even have the most basic of what we would consider the most basic of connection really um is it's just another world compared to some parts of the country so yeah i'm completely with you there so so what, what did you what did you do? Like how did you how did you do you solve it? Because a lot of people I think would look at that and go, well, how how do we do remote education when they don't have connectivity? So but you guys got around that. How did how did you do it? So basically we looked at like what are the components that make online courses so accessible? So internet's one of them, being able to to access virtual lectures is another one, right? Um, and and some way to submit coursework is another aspect of online courses. And so there is something, um, it's throughout East Africa, I think probably throughout all of Africa, um, it's called the USSD. And actually it is um, a kind of high speed, uh, very basic SMS, super basic SMS. Um, and it can look a lot like, um, like a really basic app. So it doesn't use the internet, but it is a way to communicate quickly. So it's not like you send a text and the text comes back. It's like it has a menu. You choose a menu and things come quickly. Um, in such a way, this has been used um, for mobile banking across Africa. It's been used to access better health services, to have more transparency in polling and politics, um, such that uh, Africans had mobile money long before like the U.S. did because they used this sort of um, shortcut SMS to be able to do online banking. And so basically we thought, can we use this online banking platform to be used for education? Can we transform that, right? Um, because it allows interaction between two different 
entities, right? The students on ground and then the teacher um, who is sitting, the teacher has internet because the teacher is reaching all these students. So the teacher herself um, in getting their responses in, we've built a platform for, for him or her, um, but the students themselves only need their keypad phone. And then in every Ugandan, every Ugandan village, everyone needs to watch football. It's very important. Um, and so there are radios uh, for them to be able to listen to the football matches. And so the students, you know, during the learners, when it's not a football match, the radio is totally up for grabs. Um, and that's when our teachers will um, teach a lesson. So if you can imagine the system, the teacher is teaching a live lesson um, on the radio, right? And there are places where we want her to interact with the students. So some students might call in, you know, like you do typically, like in a radio, regular radio, but other students will use their keypad phone to pick an option and it immediately populates a dashboard that she's looking at. And it allows for real-time feedback that's super powerful. Um, so for example, um, if I were a teacher and I would say, what's the most, most important component um, in, a, in a basic breadboard? And there are these different options, A, B, C, D. Um, I would, Samson's at home, he chooses option B. The teacher looks at her dashboard and she says, wow, 80% of learners out there chose option B. That's awesome, you're right. But I saw 10% chose option C. And option C illustrates a, a common misconception about breadboards. Let's talk about that. And so she's able to um, address learning gaps, um, albeit on like a larger scale, like where she sees trends happening. Um, but she's also able to pull certain names. So that means, and kids love this, um, at the end of every lesson, at the beginning of the lessons, let's say like, oh, we really want to thank Samson, Steve, and Dan for all the answers you submitted today. That's awesome. Keep innovating. Um, and she uses a real name. She'll list out 10 or 15 names, right? Um, and sometimes she'll even say, I saw that Samson Mambuzi answered option C. That's awesome, Samson. Let's talk about that. Um, and sort of the Socratic method where like she's reaching 6,000 students. She's not going to say 6,000 names, not over, you know, a four month course, but she's going to say enough names that I feel like I'm in a classroom, right? And I feel like someone can hear me. Um, and that's sort of the, I think the, the magic of our program is I think for some students, it's actually more interaction than they would get in their in-person classroom um, and even more feedback. Um, so we have an amazing tech team. That's the bare bones of like how the system works. Students interact using the USSD. The teacher is able to see their responses and respond to them in real time. Um, but then our tech team who are brilliant, we're like, if we can do this, what else can we do that makes it feel like an app? Um, and so now students get weekly test reports um, so they'll get a, which is way more than they get in the school system, like a weekly progress report that tells them you participated in this many lessons, this was your score, here's where we think you need help, um, or awesome, well done, keep innovating, or we suggest you review lesson two. Um, and that's amazing, right? Those just come automatically. A student can also um, request them. So if they, if they um, miss the text message that has their information, that has their results, they can also request their results. Um, and then Samson and his team have come up with really great like additional tidbits. So if you think about these old phones, there are some real constraints around character length. You can only have, I don't remember how many characters, but it's a really, it's really, it's a small screen basically. Um, and so Samson's team, the design team who are brilliant, uh, figure out like, how can you take 
these science concepts and distill them into little bite-sized pieces. Um, and then those pieces can be accessed as different parts of review or revision um, when students want to go into the app. Um, Samson, do you want to talk about more of our features? Because we're super proud of how our, our app has evolved from just you know, a, a basic interaction to having a lot of tools that a real app would have. Um, do you want to talk about some of those, Samson? Yeah, yeah, but, but I, yeah, I think before talking about the, the, the features, I want to talk about like two things first uh, that also point to the need of, of this program and, uh, and access in 2020 when we uh, launched Air Science, Year Air Science, we wanted, we first wanted to do a pilot of, you know, of three months and, um, and, and the goal was to impact on at least 10,000 users. But within one month of of, of, of launching the, 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 the app, we already we had already we already hit um, uh, ten thousand students, and everyone kept signing up. We wanted to stop we were, because it was overwhelming. We were breaking the budget. We wanted to stop uh, people from registering, and our board uh, told us not to stop to let people keep registering. And it's incredible that you know, uh, as I talk now, we have over thirty-two thousand students who have enrolled over the years. And participated in our courses, and I think the other piece that, uh, that, that, that 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 I want to share that's that's so special about our model that also speaks to education that prepares young people for the real world is that our model year air science is based on the flipped classroom model. Uh, flipped classroom flipped classroom is a is a model that is gaining traction in the developing world uh, in developing countries. It's a it's an approach to teaching where learners are exposed to content, you know, before they meet the teacher. So they do all the theoretical content before they meet with the teacher. And so when they meet with the teacher, it is time to like get, you know, a deep dive into like practical work, you know, experiential learning, great stuff, work on hands-on projects. And that's the, that's the model that we do. So at the beginning of every week, like on, uh, on Sunday, we send out a robocall, a, a one minute robocall to all our users to introduce them to the content that they will learn during the week and tell them, okay, you're gonna learn about this. You please read about friction because you need to know this information before creating your solar food, before creating rather your pedal powered washing machine, uh, read about this ABC and get these materials. And then during the week when they actually meet with the teacher virtually through radio, they are now working on this, uh, 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 having uh, group work, having like actual activities, hands-on activities. Um, and then at the, at the end of the week, we give them a, a weekly test to measure uh, their knowledge acquisition, acquisition, but also to support them master the content that they are learning. Right. Um, and there's a team from Carnegie Mellon University, actually a research team from the Human Computer Interaction Institute that have been helping us because we collect <laughs> A lot of data, 32,000 kids submitting like, you know, 12 responses a day. It's a lot of data. Um, and so they have been helping us analyze our data and figure out how to use it um, in a way to improve the program. So one example I'll give is they realized by, by the time our second course wrapped up, it became very clear that students were sharing phones. Um, just you could tell by the pattern of their responses. And that like totally messed up any analysis we were able to do because multiple kids are using the same phone, they're using they're responding different responses depending on, um, on, on their understanding. And so be able to use that analysis to go back to our tech team and say, can you fix this? Um, and they developed um, profiles, which is really, because 
actually this this system used for banking you can only have one bank account per per phone and we developed a way to have three i think it's three profiles um per phone so it can be dan is the first user steve is the second samson's the third when you come in you choose which one you are and you answer responses um, as that person and that helps us to really see individually how is each student doing and another feature um that so it's we just found it was so powerful using students' names. Like that is just um, huge for, for a person to feel like, um, like this is individualized learning for them. And so the app now greets them by name, which is also a very cool thing to be able to do without, you know, without an actual um, app. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to like talk to the network, figure out which phone number this connects to, get back to the network and really quickly say, Erin, welcome back to Air Science. We're so excited to have you here. Or when you send out the progress report, say, Erin, you did a great job this week. Here's your progress. Um, and we even have now, if you haven't been in the system for a week, so we're looking at drop-off rates. Um, they call it churn in the in the fancy um, app world. Um, looking at our churn and trying to see like when can we get students, and it became clear that like once students have dropped off for a certain amount of time, it's pretty hard to get them back. Um, but if, um, and so you might spend all your efforts trying to get back these students who haven't been there for three weeks. It's just really hard. But if a student hasn't been there for like two to five days they're easier to get back to. And so it helped us focus our efforts because everything costs money. The SMSs we send, the phone calls we send, even being in the system itself is charged as, as like airtime, as if it's a phone call. Um, and so we send out SMSs saying, hey, Steve, see, you haven't been in air science for five days. We miss you. Come back. Keep innovating. Um, and those sorts of reminders really help as well to, for it to feel like people see me, you know, like, like I'm actually being heard and what I put into this app matters. And that's another thing that I think um, Seattle can also speak to, but these are, these are children who've been left behind. You know what I mean? These are kids who, even if they get to school, they're in a classroom with 80 kids. There's one teacher and it's the 20 kids in the front rows that are going to be talked to, right? Um, and then they can't get there anymore because they can't pay the school fees. So even when they were there, it wasn't individualized. And then it seems like people don't care when they actually can't get to school. And even the, the public education, which is free, you can't go if you don't have money for the uniforms or for the textbooks or for the transport. So it's not truly universally accessible. Um, and so we always like to say that like, we're giving a voice to the voiceless children because they're finally able to say something back, right? It's not just um, that they're forgotten in these villages and they're never going to get education and it's, you know, it's hopeless, right? It's life that just struts out in front of them, but actually they can keep going. Um, and some of the things we've heard, especially from our female students, women in particular have really big hurdles. Um, and one of them is that, you know, if their family runs out of money, um, a girl will get married off at like 14 because she gets a dowry and the family really needs that money. So they will basically have her marry someone in order to get this dowry. Um, and we've had girls, you know, when our field team goes out to talk to students, we've had girls say, I never realized that my value could be more than my dowry. Right. That I have that I have another way. There are other ways I can earn a living for myself than basically just like, be, you know, ending my future or, you know, having a very particular future with, with this one person. 
And we also have a lot of girls who, um, especially during COVID, um, were impregnated. And, and of course, you know, males, they have very few consequences, but for, the, but for female students, it's hugely impactful. Um, and even after they have the child, they're not allowed back in school. So they have to leave school during the pregnancy. They're not allowed back to school after the pregnancy. And even if they were, their families may have disowned them. And so they have a huge burden of trying to provide for this new, this new life that they have without the support of their community. And so for their, those young women, we've definitely heard that. So one of our, our most recent technology was the um, pedal powered washing machine. Um, and there, there are young women who reached out to us and said, this is amazing because I, had a, I was washing laundry for money. It's backbreaking. It takes forever. I can only do so many loads per day. Now I use this washing machine attached to this bicycle and I can get to people's houses, wash their laundry faster, earn more money. Um, and now my child will go to school because these cycles of poverty are endemic, right? If you don't go to school, you can't earn enough money to send your kids to school and they can't earn enough money to send their kids to school. And it just turned this horrible, like this horrible cycle. Like Dempson doesn't always mention it, but his grandmother often used food money to send him to school. There were some really hard choices that, um, that it's hard for parents to make. And so when you can give a young person who, unfor who, who through whatever circumstances is already a parent, right? Um, a chance to educate their children, or even a chance to educate themselves. Um, it's how you break those, those cycles of poverty. There is actually a big outcry right now in, in Uganda. Uh over the exorbitant fees that schools are charging. Um, but but Erin, when, when you were talking, I remember that, uh, uh, when, you, when you were sharing about the reasons why uh, uh, young people drop out of school, I remember this girl that we talked to way back in, in Lida when we were you know, uh, trying to find out why, why, why you know, young people drop out of school. This girl told us that when we asked why she dropped out, she said that in her school, but that she didn't see the real value of, of why she was in school. That in her school, even her science teachers used to, uh, one of their science teachers used to want them not to repeat science experiments at home. And she told us that if I cannot repeat it at home, then why am I studying it? And so out of frustration, she dropped out. You know, she dropped out of school. And yes, maybe the teacher was referring to experiments that are not safe. But how about this, those that are safe? You know, young people no longer, don't, don't have time to, you know, just taking all the theory, you know. Um, they want to learn uh, skills that they will apply right now to solve their problems, you know. Um, and, 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 yeah, to solve their problems, you know, it reminds me of what my grandmother, my grandmother was, used to tell me, that education will help you to, like, solve problems in our communities. Um, I, in, our, in terms of our curriculum, I just want to share a little bit about our courses. So, you know, our courses teach young people to apply, the knowledge of you know science, math, entrepreneurship, and use local available materials to design technologies that solve real-world problems and change the status quo of poverty and gain you know generate in, in, uh, income using techn the technologies that they that they make. We have trained our students to make technologies such as hand sanitizers way back in 2017, even before COVID. I think I talked to you, Dan, about this example. It's a good, a, a classical example of education that prepares young people for, uh, for life, for the, for the real world. Like in 2017, we had a unit, we called it the Clean Hands Unit. 
and we wanted to train the students to make a technology, the easiest technology that can, you know, kill germs. And then, so they looked at the available technologies. They said, oh, soap requires water. So if I'm in a bus and I'm traveling and I want to eat something, I will, I will not have, to, I, I can't use soap to clean my hands. Then they used, then others were expensive. So they came up with a hand sanitizer. And many of them didn't even know, like, a hand sanitizer. We helped them with, like, knowledge to, with, with information to do research. And they created the hand sanitizers. We even had, in that class, we had students uh, kind of simulate a situation where they are trying to, uh, you know, prevent themselves from getting uh, uh, infected. So we had them wear masks, everyone, and they found it so funny that, you know. But then, guess what? Like, a few years later, COVID was here. And sanitizers were like gold to everyone, and masks were all over. So it's a good example of education that prepares people for uh, young people for life uh, for the real world. And then we've trained students to make, you know, bicycle-powered phone chargers for villages that don't. Most villages in Uganda don't have electricity, but if uh, young people know how this technology that they can attach on their bicycle and ride around the villages, they charge their mobile phone or they charge their torch. You know, that's that's what they want. Um, we've also had technology uh, units on um, solar food dryers to help young people support their parents to add value to the, 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 the crops, you know, that they grow. If, if you have, you know, if, if you have mangoes, if you have uh, pineapples, instead of the, selling them at a cheaper price, add the value to them, like um, dry them in, in a solar food dryer and sell them at a higher price, you know. So those are the kind of units we teach. The goal is to support students apply the knowledge they learn to um, the knowledge of science and math and local available materials to design technologies that solve real world problems and help them to improve their livelihoods. Yeah, yeah. and I, so I was going to so, say, yeah. I think one thing that's important to know is that these young people want to solve challenges. They want to be useful. Mm -hmm. um, an example, Samson's had one example, but another one I'll give that always like pulls at my heartstrings um, is that a lot of um, these young women will sometimes borrow salt from like a more affluent neighbor and separate it into little bags and then sell those bags and then then get then use that money to buy more salt to return it to this neighbor. But you can make like an incremental profit from this, right? Um, and so there was a woman who was doing this and her daughter was in like primary two or something and she learned about a little bit about agriculture, but everything very theoretical, right? So when she came home, she took the salt that her mother had borrowed and planted it. So she dug a hole, put it in the ground, mother was horrified, um, but this girl thought like the salt will grow and then we will have salt, we don't have to borrow it. And what I think this speaks to is that we look at like an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old and we think, you know, especially I think in these more developed countries that they want to play, they want to have fun. And, and of course, kids do want to do that. Um, but they are so, when you give them tools, they are so excited to know that they have agency to actually contribute to some of the, the challenges that their community face, and they want to, right? And that's a really big motivator for doing your schoolwork. If you yeah. think they want to pitch in, don't they? Like, I've, I've got a two and a three year old, and they, they're constantly like, they, they mimic what, what me and their mother does, do, like, they, they constantly want to, they want to sit in 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 my office and do, and mm -hmm. pretend to work on the computer because they think well that's what daddy does so I want to do that they want they want to um, yeah they want to 
in fact, I'm sure like a few months ago, uh, Julia, my partner, said said to my daughter Matilda, she was, she she wanted some toy from the shop, and she said, "Well, how are you?" My, Julia said to my daughter, "How are you? How are you going to pay for it? You don't have any money." And she said, "Oh, well, I'll I'll go on the computer when I get home and do some work <laughs> and, and get some money for it." Um, so they, yeah, it's it's interesting, and it really um, there's a few things that that struck me when as you've been like explaining through that, and and I think the first thing is that. I think, it, and I know I keep making this separation between kind of the Western world and and, but I suppose it's it's kind of the dichotomy that that we're talking about really in terms of the like two different two different experiences, um, and and I, and I think entrepreneurship and innovation is almost seen as something that wealthy people do, um, you know, like over here we have like TV shows like The Apprentice. Um, Dragon's Den, it's, and it's all about these people in suits wanting wanting to make millions of dollars or millions of pounds because they've they've come up with a clever idea. And actually, we fail to say that there's some people in the world where actual innovation is is not to make them a millionaire. They just they need to innovate just to survive. Um, and I think there's something really powerful in that. Um, and I, and I think it probably cocks back to what you were saying before, something about about privilege that that almost some people in this world can survive without having to innovate, whereas other people are forced to have to do that. Um, and also it really made me think of, I did a course last year on innovation and, uh, and one of the, one of the, one of the modules that were talking about how, you know, that, do you know that expression thinking outside the box? And they were talking about how that came from, I think it was in the seventies. Um, have you ever seen, you know, the, it's like nine dots, in like a square and you've got to join them up with four four lines and you've got to and in order to join them up you have to kind of draw the line outside of the box well that that's where the phrase came from so there was there was a psychologist who who came up with that phrase and it became very popular but actually this this course was saying true innovation doesn't come from thinking outside the box it comes from being almost trapped inside a box mm. where you don't you can't you haven't got external materials. You've got a, you've only got limited materials. That's where true innovation comes from, and I suppose it's true in our lives. Like when we, whenever we've got into a, in, I don't know, like into a sticky situation in the house, and we've had to fix something, and we've only got like a spoon and a fork, <laughs> to it and and we've put it together and made a tool out of it. Like proper innovation comes from being limited, and I suppose everything you're saying is there's a lot of limitations there but you you guys are still within that limitation like the like the the sms app that you're talking about huge limitations but you're managed managing to innovate within inside those limitations which i think is really cool and and really inspirational and one thing i'll say about i think i think speaking about innovation in that way is so true the idea of when you're limited it pushes you to be more innovative um and one of the first lessons that samson's team um design that that they, that CG, the teachers teach is to have students identify technologies in their communities and of course they're like my radio my cell phone um my car or the, the one car <laughs> that this village has um and and we teach them actually a spoon is technology like actually women were one of the first innovators in humankind because they figured out cooking and cooking is technology, right? This anything we're doing to solve a problem that, that humankind has, like that's a technology and that's innovation. 
And that I think is super empowering for students who haven't had access to a lot of things. If you think about, you know, in a village, they use the tires to make toys. Um, I've seen students using like pieces of wire they found to, to make little trucks that they can push around. Um, and so there's a lot of innovation that's already there. And the idea is to teach them to recognize it. Because once you realize like, oh, I'm already an engineer, I'm already innovating, then it's, it's way less intimidating, right? To, and we always tell them, you know, there's like 5 million cell phones because it wasn't like you made one cell phone and that was the best and you leave it at that. Um, you make something, it breaks or, or it's in some way, you know, not, not ideal. And then you iterate and you try again and you learn from your data. And so we teach a lot of um, like data driven decision making. Um, so one of the things they do is they look at, what is it, Samson, like a banana, a pineapple, a, like a sweet potato, and they make a graph and they ask elders around the community, how long would it take this food to rot? right? And they make a, a chart um, where you can see, and they also then do like how much water content do you think is in this, in this item, in this food? Um, how much sugar do you think is in this food? And they start to use that to, to realize, oh, actually, if, if, you know, the more water and sugar um, a, an item, a food item produce has, the faster it's going to rot, right? And if you move the, the water, then the bacteria don't have a lot to feed off of. This is about the, the drying the solar food dryers. Um, but the point is that like, if you teach students to realize they're already innovators and then you teach them data-driven decision-making, they're like unstoppable, right? Like that's, those are the tools they need. They don't really need those physical tools if they can recognize their innovation that they're doing already and, and they know how to make, collect data and make good decisions. Yeah, I've, I've, I've not been able to unmute for a long time, not because everybody's chatting, but because my children are screaming. So you might hear them. Uh, my my one year old is just trying to go to sleep. So um, I might unmute or I might mute again. Um, I'm just trying to think back to, to recent episodes and, and recent conversations around education, technology, uh, online platforms and everything else. And, and, and about 10 minutes ago, some of the stuff that you were saying was so powerful and I was listening and I was thinking, I can't think of a recent podcast that's having more of an impact in the real world than than the conversation we're having now. I don't know, maybe it's because of uh, where it's placed and everything else, but Joe, some of the stuff is so powerful in regards to bringing education, but it's not just the education of that individual. It's the legacy it leaves. It's uh, the, the leading on and the, the, the problem solving and the, the opportunity it then gives children and the next generation, the next generation, and the cycle it gives that it's fascinating, but I think it's so powerful. Not only the the work that you're doing, not only the technical stuff, but also the focus um, and the problem solving and helping people. Do you know, I remember, uh, and again, I'll take it back to things like charity um, advertisements and commercials on TV, and they'll say, "Don't buy them this." give them the tools to, to, to plant it and everything else. And it really resonated when you were talking about that. Actually, the education and the the, the, the problems and the, and, the, and the innovation that you are developing, whether it's through the, the application that you talked about or whether it's through just the, the kind of maker stuff and the, the science and the maths coming together, is making a difference for communities and villages, but also making communities for the individuals that you're, you're delivering and improving and 
the generations to come. It's, it's fascinating. I, I, I'm blown away, if I'm honest. I, I'm loving it. I just think it's so important. And, and as we talk about the future of education, there's technology in this that's wonderful. And, and uh, I remember a Nokia 3310 just for Snake. That was probably the, the, the best thing that I could, if anybody's used it, those interesting games. But actually, people are using it for education so much more. And so like, I'm like, oh, my God, I could have done so much more than play Snake. <laughs> anybody who's played Snake knows they'll be uh, uh, infatuated by it. But I just it's just amazing. So we talk about, and Dan's doing a lot of stuff on AI and things like that and everything else. But it's taking it back to technology and innovation in its in its rawest form, I think. And, and and that's what really is resonating with me in terms of this episode and the stuff that you're doing. It. I think what, uh, what you're saying there, Steve, like about it having like the 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 stuff that you guys are saying and it, the impact it's having. And Steve's saying there about how it's probably the the most powerful kind of stories of impact we've heard for a while on this on this podcast. But when you look look at the technological side of it it's it's compared to like what what the technology we've got it's not that advanced but and we kind of always like we kind of always go for the trend of all the 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 best technology and the impact that's going to have on education and ai and virtual reality and but actually you guys are having probably way more of an impact like steve says but with with a with a, a less technologically advanced platform, um, so yeah, it's it, it's amazing what you guys are doing. Dan, what you're talking about is the idea of um, there's something we call in education we call it the zone of proximal development. The idea of like you know when you're teaching people, you know, first introduce people to use what they know and you know to do a smaller challenge. And then you just keep building onto that, you know, give them, you know, harder challenges until the time when they can, you know, do a bigger challenge. Um, yeah, that's, that's the kind of concept we use. We use the technologies that they have, keep our phones and radios, get quite education, and then be able to, you know, use the, the, the education you've got to, you know, start a business. And then the first thing they are, because they're young people, the first thing they're they, they are going to buy is, is a keeper, is, 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 is a smartphone. Or a computer, and then a computer, and then so they're increasing their level of digital literacy, but like you know, um, starting from what they initially had, or they will go back, and then you know, or they will go back to school. Actually, some uh, we have a huge number of uh, students who, after going through our program, be uh, uh, end up going back to school because you know, after they start up a business, they earn in income and use it to pay school fees and, and, and get back to school. And speaking about the the level like of low tech technology, um, we there was a solve, which is a an innovation challenge run by MIT, um, and we won it in twenty twenty. Um, but it was it was uh, very interesting to be at the challenge because every other innovation was like so high tech. It's using AI. It's using blockchain. Like all these cool stuff. And we're like, we're using keypad phones. Um, and yet, like like you said, Dan, like if you can apply it in a way that that creates an impact, like let's meet people where they are. Some people aren't don't have access to blockchain. Big, big, big secret. Some people don't have access to blockchain. And so what so like maybe it is innovative to take these really low tech technologies and and apply them a different way. Um, and then I have one more one more thing to say about like the access we're getting. So um, 
So CNN did a, a documentary about our program, and I bring that up because we always say last mile. Like these are people in villages; they're very hard to get to. Um, and the camera, the camera men or camera women, when they um, went to go out to these villages, at some point had to like get out of the Subaru and walk the last kilometer because these are not accessible. There are no roads that go out to these villages, right? And they were complaining to Samson and the team, like, when you say last mile, you're not kidding. <laughs> you have to haul our camera equipment out here. We never, you know, never had to like carry our stuff for a kilometer. Um, anyways, that just speaks to like just how, um, just how remote um, these children are and, and how inaccessible a lot of these high tech things, like they're beyond their comprehension, right? They're so far away. Yeah, and um, I'll go back to one of my previous leaders. Um, when I was trying to improve some stuff and put some iteration into some of the work that I was doing, um, she was fond of me, so I understood when she when she said it um, that she wasn't being negative, but she said, keep it simple, stupid. Um, and she just said, keep it simple. She's like, there will be bits where you take it to the eighth degree and you go really, really far, but just keep it simple in the in the in the opening element and just go for it. And I think in the UK and, and in many different organizations, just bear me one second and I'll come back to me. My daughter has just come into the room, so I'm just gonna have to turn my camera and my mic off. Dan, if you can just carry on, I will come back. Yeah, so what in terms of like what's next for this for what you're doing? Like are you working on more features for the for the app? Are you are you how, how are you going to take it and i guess are you are you planning to grow as well because because they i suppose there's always more kids and more kind of last mile villages like that, that that can be reached and and are you is that a plan for you or how do you approach that well our biggest um future plan so we it's air science that we the course we run um and we recently had a discovery that science is not the only thing you can teach turns out there are other things that can that that subjects are, are taught um and so we have a new initiative Hello. Hi. Um, uh, called air for those who are looking on yeah on. that's why everyone's sorry sorry yeah sorry no, no, she was, no, 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 I, was like, I was like do you want to just go downstairs and watch tv for a couple of minutes before so while mommy's settling all it and she's like she's like no i want to say hello she wouldn't leave unless she, she was allowed to say hello. <laughs> i'm really sorry uh Aaron, yeah. carry on that was lovely um yeah so a new initiative we're working on is called air learning um and air learning we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes um to beef up our platform um such that it can host courses from other content providers so basically to become the first like coursera that's run offline um and so there were different radio time slots for these different um subjects and you would log in you know press one for english press two for biology press three for whatever um and and so, and for example, like there's an organization that does sexual reproductive health um, and they are like, if you can get out to 30,000 young people, like we must be on your platform. So there'll be a course about that on our platform, right? Um, another one, the, actually, I think you're out of Oxford. Um, we're interested in, they teach like a water quality 
um, unit they borrowed taught in Kenya for a long time. It has a lot of success. And they were like, if we could get on your platform, we could reach so many more people with this, um, with all this information about how to access safe water, how to make sure your water is safe, how to be a good steward um, of water in our, in our whole planet. Um, and so that's the, our hope is if we can become this offline Coursera, that we can, this is the big vision, right? The big hairy goal, they always say, big hairy audacious goal is that we can take that success because of course it'll be successful, right? Of course, um, we'll take that success of air learning and go to governments and say like to the Ugandan government, 70% of your kids are not in school. Look at this platform, look how many students it's reached. We'll have these like micro-credentials, look who is, you know, has a, has a little micro-credential in a certified electrical engineer like, like and can will you use this can you use this um to get your public education to every child and that is air school is what that product would be called um and so those are our big visions like air science um in the next five years move it up to air learning air learning we're also suspecting we're hoping will be a um a for-profit um uh entity which will then the proceeds, so Air Science will be one of its biggest shareholders. So Air Science would get first um, a profit share off of Air Learning. So Air Science and Samsung's design team will always, you know, be funded into eternity. Um, and then and then it's organizations who want to get their content out that would um, that would fund Air Learning. Um, and then Air School would be a tool for governments. Um, once we once we're able to prove, like it's one thing to say, oh, we can teach science, um, but it's another thing to say we're also teaching social studies, we're also teaching um, entrepreneurship, we're also teaching you know water health. Um, yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah. Go ahead, Samson. I just wanted to say that in the short term, in the short term, um, our next step is to expand access by all, for, for air science um, is to expand access by providing our content in multiple languages. So right now, uh, the content is in on, only in English, but we know that there are so many of, uh, there are so many kids in our program who don't know English or who are not proficient in English. So we want to start, start offering our courses in an, another, you know, in local languages. And we are doing a pilot this year to, to see how that goes. We are going to pilot teaching STEM uh, to kids in the local language. But they will have an option. So you have an option. You can either choose to learn in English or you can choose to learn in the local language. So in the sh short term, that's our, that's our next step. Yeah, and that is like really pushing the frontier, even though it sounds like, oh, translate it. There's not a lot of um, proof points around teaching science um, in these local languages, in these remote areas to this age group. There's a lot of translations happening at like the college level, um, but these are, you know, fairly young people and can we, and even the Ugandan government, I think will be looking to see, um, can you teach? They always was, um, all subjects were mandated in English. Um, and then just this past year, they have expanded it so that courses can be taught in the local languages. And so I think it's quite an experiment to see, you know, can we teach these subjects in the local languages, even the technical subjects? And can we do it remotely? Like challenge upon challenge, let's see how this goes. Um, and so that's like, that's the, the, the near frontier that we're working on this year. And even our tech team in the background has to figure out like, how do you integrate these different languages in the system itself, right? It's like hugely complicated. Um, 
Yeah, but, but as Simpson said, we'll make it so much more accessible. And we have a lot of students who understand English-ish, they just can't speak it. Um, and so just being able to have a lesson on the radio in the local language will mean a lot more interaction with students. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, we're coming to the, the top of the hour now, and it, it's, I think it's, an, it's a nice end then. We'll be watching what you guys are up to and and with excitement, I think, because... I think you guys are doing some amazing work and, and, and the lives that you, you're changing um, is just, it's overwhelming really to hear about it and to, and, and to know what you guys are doing. So yeah, um, um, keep it up because uh, yeah, you're changing the world. Thank you. And thanks for having us on. This is, this is our first podcast. So hopefully we, oh, hope wow. okay. Um, but we're just really so grateful and appreciative. Anytime we get to talk about year for a full hour and someone isn't bored to death, <laughs> then that's a fun time for us. So thank you. No, it's been yeah, great. Thanks so much. It's been absolutely delightful to be here. And please give us feedback. This has been our first podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give us feedback on how we've done. <laughs> Oh, it was fantastic. We we didn't have to say hardly anything. You guys just, <laughs> just sat back and listened. It's been wonderful. I'm telling you, we can go for days. You just ask our families and friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. no, thanks for coming on and, and for giving up your time and, and for sharing sharing your experiences and wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely appreciate it. Wonderful. All right. Have a great uh, evening. One.